Lunchtime Live with Andrea Gilligan on News Talk. Brought to you by Avant Money. Think you're getting the best value from your bank? Think again. Now, on the programme yesterday afternoon, we spoke to Marie, a listener to the show. She got in touch about the lack of support and help for her 14-year-old son with intellectual disabilities. He's like a tornado that buzzes around the house and I'm chasing after him, picking up one disaster, one broken mess after another. Always on guard, always vigilant, super vigilant. Like, you're living on adrenaline with the level of hyperactivity that you have to try and manage. Um... And, I mean, it starts in the morning. I could be winded straight into the chest. It depends on his mood. He could come up and nuzzle into my chest or he could headbutt me into the chest. And that's how the day starts. This could be now after a night of him being up all night, bouncing off the walls. Um, and this isn't very nice to listen to, but this is the truth. And I'm not hiding the yeah. truth anymore. No, don't but worry. But he, he, he smears feces throughout the night. So I have four mattresses in rotation that he could smear at 11 o'clock and you have to go up, you have to get him into the bath, you have to wash him down, you have to wash the walls, the mattresses, you take out the mattress, you put in another mattress, he might do it again two hours later. The whole thing repeats, the cycle goes on and on. Every single aspect and area of your life, from the mundane to the normal, is affected. And after that conversation with Marie on the programme yesterday, there were a number of people who got in touch with us on the show by text and also by email uh, overnight and again this morning. And one of those was Simona, who's with us today on the show. Simona, what's your situation? Uh, yes, um, hi, Andrea. Um, yeah, so um, I um, I got in touch yesterday after listening to Marie's story because obviously my heart went out to her. Um, our situation um, wouldn't be as as um, as hard as hers, to be honest with you. But um, I could uh, get every single word that Marie was saying simply because, um, in a lesser way, we're actually facing the same difficulties. Um, so we have um, <coughs> four children. One of them is a four-year-old uh, boy who is um, he has. Um, um, He's autistic, so he got his diagnosis last November. And um, similarly to Marie, basically, uh, th- th- there is essentially no no support whatsoever, uh, fundamentally from two bodies, one being the HSD and the other one being the Department of Education. Um, when we got the <coughs> preliminary um, assessment, so that was done in um, 21, that assessment gave us nothing really other than putting um, our child from one list onto the next one. So that meant that for us to access anything at all, from therapies to uh, school placement, we had to um, go privately and take him to private uh, clinics, you know, to get um, mm. assessments done that way. So obviously we are in a very lucky position to um, to have been able to pay for those ourselves. Um, but it is a lucky position. Many people are not in that position at all. Um, you, in order for these children to get, say, speech and language therapy or occupational therapy, um, psychology appointments or whatever, you, you can't walk into a clinic and ask for an appointment. You have to do an assessment first. So then you're getting an assessment to access services. Then you're getting an assessment uh, for um, to confirm, you know, an autism diagnosis in our case. And um, we needed that simply to get um, a place for him in, in a school. Um, now, when I say, you know, you get these assessments done privately, thousands of euros to access services, it's not as easy as, you know, um, here you go, you go into a clinic, get the assessment and get the appointment, 
because the the waiting lists are months long, even privately. Mm. Um, the school placements are not are not guaranteed. You know, um, we had to apply. <clears throat> now, um, we decided for our child that we wanted him to to stay an extra year in um in um in a preschool setting. And we were absolutely blessed to find an amazing uh, preschool for him for next year. But then come next September, we, we are basically at, at the back of the queue again and having to start, you know, the whole process again of finding a school. And then all of people who apply for, like, say, 30, 40 schools and get nothing, nothing at all. Um, there are hundreds of children I know who are on the waiting list for uh, placement in special units, they're called, so they're called ASD units. And only yesterday I read a tweet that there was one new unit for the whole of Dublin opened. That's like six spaces, you know, for okay. the whole of Dublin, you know. So it's um, it's just incredible. And it, <clears throat> I, I mentioned as well that up to this point, up to November 21, um, I had no, say, a gripe, say, with, the, with any of these services, the HSC or the Department of Education, because um, I'm obviously not Irish, but... I never had any problems whatsoever. I always found services here in Ireland to be to be better than the place where I come from, right? Okay. Um, but then, as soon as as soon as we got the diagnosis, we we got hit with these mountains to climb at every step of the way. Yeah. <clears throat> things are made so much um, harder, you know, for carers. It's not only you know you have a child with initial need to deal with, right? So you're just uh, <clears throat> doing everything you can at home on your own for the child. Um, but on top of it, it's just made so much harder for parents like ourselves to to do anything at all for them. You know, is is um, the, is this the first time, Simona, that you've ever had to experience something like this? Yes, definitely. Anything of the kind in Ireland, yes, yes. And now, I mean, international groups as well. So, in in fairness, now to Ireland, um, things are actually um, equally hard in other places. You know, so. This situation with disability services, it's not unique to Ireland, obviously, you know. Um, but I suppose once you're in it, it's just very, it's just very hard. Like when you, when, you, when people kind of say, and in a way, sort of like PDU and kind of say, oh, it must be hard, etc. You just really don't get it until, until you're in it, you know. Um, m- my brother-in-law uh, also, um, he has a disability, right? And my mother-in-law would have told us for years how hard it was, you know. Mm. So even though this was in the family. Um, you kind of understand up to a point, but again, it's not until we had our own child and we had to start ringing around ourselves, emailing ourselves, dealing with services ourselves, that we realised how tough it is. Now, my brother-in-law is in his 40s and nothing has changed. You know, that's how. And, like, you know, that's one of the points that our listener um, was talking about yesterday, Simona, on on the show here. You know, like... The what happens, you know, the the inevitable, like, I mean, like, you know, I think that was our, our, our listener Marie's concern, like what happens when, as she gets older and she's talking about the need for services now for her son, who's only a teenager, but like, what happens when he's in his 40s and his 50s and his 60s? Yeah, look, <clears throat> exactly. Yeah, to be honest with you, it's kind of like a thought you don't really want to um, go to in a way, as in, obviously, you have to think about stuff like that, just like you think about your wheel, you know, in, in general. Um, but yeah, I suppose you just try to, to live day um, after day in as a positive way as possible, because if you just go there, you will just get stuck in, in a loop of, of really 
had three wheel hope of of um yeah but is your brother in law is your brother in law sorry is he is he also in Ireland yes he is yeah. he is yeah okay he's Irish yeah he's yeah Irish. and like so it, it, there is a lot of reliance essentially on 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 the family you know yeah it's, uh, your own your own circle your own people um outside of that there is very very little you know um our own boy for example was placed on um <clears throat> on a waiting list with the hsc so with the what's called cdnt services um when i um rang them first uh, the very start after the preliminary assessment i was told there was a 12 month wait and i thought okay that's not too bad you know we'll we'll, we'll try and get some um kind of uh, private therapies in the meantime and bridge the gap that way um a few months later i ring again the list had grown to 80 months a um, couple of months later, it had gone to two years. So the last averse is that hopefully now we're one year into it. So hopefully within the within a year, it'll be seen and they'll start services. Um, the problem is that the new CDNT system, the way it works, is that um, what they tend to do is that they kind of train the family to help the child. Now I actually agree with that policy, but up to a point because that mm. doesn't yeah. it doesn't suit everyone, you know. Um, we're not therapists. I've literally, in the last six months, I've grown a folder that's about, you know, a foot tall um, with information and that you try to gather from wherever you can. Mostly, I suppose, online groups. There's great support out there, you know, from parents, and that's where you learn the most, you know. Um, but there's a lot of withholding information as well. So, you like, literally at every corner, you might turn, you realise, oh, I didn't know I was entitled to that. I didn't know there was a possibility, you know. So they withhold information, literally, you don't know what you're entitled to. It's not clear code. It's not like a list of things where, you know, you have you have it all on one page and know where to go and what to do. Um, people, after years, don't even know what their entitlements are. And I know, you know, there is also, like, personal, how would you say, like, you'd have to go and find these details yourself, right? Mm. Um, but they're just, it's just very hard to come by. And once you get to the point of applying for details, it's a struggle. Mm-hmm. for everything, everything you ask for, you know. Um, and now there's another thing as well, they're, they might um, give you supplementary, um, um, like financial support, right, which is absolutely hugely welcome. But at the same time, a lot of the time in a two-parent family, oftentimes one of the parents needs to resign from their job. And, and that, you know, a lot of these families are down one income soon after diagnosis is given, you know, because it's not as easy as, pushing the, the children in childcare or, you know, handing them out to family. A lot of the times, these, these children are, are set in specific routines and it's very hard for them to adapt to um, childcare places or, you know, um, I don't know, going to a child yeah, manager. It's not okay. as easy as one, two, three, you know. Do, do you think, yeah, Simona so, here, do, like, do you feel that carers are listened to or that they're heard enough? Mm. <laughs> thought they were, again, from a mother-in-law experience, I just always thought that, you know, I, I thought that they were listened to enough. But again, now that I'm in it, no, 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 they're not listened to because um, it's a category whereby, um, so a lot of people go on the streets to strike and protest and whatever mm-hmm. it may be. Um, but carers mightn't have the um, time <clears throat> or the strength to do it. Uh, time because it's not as easy as going on the streets to protest when you have a child to care for in the first place. It, what do you do? Do you bring those children with you, you know, in wheelchairs or whatever it may be, yeah. in the middle of Dublin okay. to a protest, huge sensory overload? It's very hard for carers to just 
up and go and protest in the streets like other categories, right? And oftentimes you might not even have the, <clears throat> to be honest with you, the strength within because you're just so drained from fighting all the time. Okay. You just feel like it's not worth it. And you, uh, you just essentially accept whatever little comes your way and, and want to throw and get on with life, to be honest with you, because at the end of the day, you try to spare the yeah. positive energy for the child. I, you know? I know um, even from this morning when I came in, just um, when I was going through some of the emails and, and, and I spotted, um, saw your own your own uh, text as well to us, Simona. Like that's one of the points that a lot of people, carers make. The email is lunchtimelive at newstalk.com if you do want to get in touch with us today on the programme. Simona, thank you for, for joining us and for sharing your story. Not at all. Thanks for the day for having me, Andrea. Yeah, like it's it's absolutely remarkable, and I just made the point yesterday after talking to to Marie on the show as well. Like people waiting to get assessment, and then on another waiting list to try and get some kind of help, or whether it be occupational therapy or speech and language therapy, and then of course there's a queue for that, and it just seems to be endless the the length and the amount of time that people spend waiting and on queues and just in general fighting constantly to get some assistance uh, that's Simona Amory lunchtime live at newstalk.com again is the email address if you want to share your own story here here with us on the program today lunchtime live with Andrea Gilligan brought to you by Avant Money weekdays at midday on news talk